You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to visit with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com, John Harris from the Texans broadcast crew, and provide your fantasy fix with Michael Harmon of SwollenDome.com. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Peter King from MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, your column this weekend was the genesis for this topic with all the points they gave up at home last night playing without Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor. Did that game feel like the end of an era for Seattle? Well, I think that will be t- – it felt like – it feels like it to me, yes. But I think that John Schneider, the GM of the Seahawks, and Pete Carroll are going to have something to say about it. Uh, essentially, you know, Richard Sherman – uh, basically, the, the Seahawks felt out the market for Richard Sherman. I believe they wanted two ones for him, but they felt out the market for Sherman uh, last spring and ended up not trading him. And so now, this next spring, Richard Sherman turns 30, Cam Chancellor turns 30, Earl Thomas turns 29. They all do that within about a month of each other. And with as physical a corner as Sherman has been, as physical a safety as Cam Chancellor has been, and now that, uh, that Earl Thomas has started to get hurt a bit, you know, you wonder, are the Seahawks going to continue to invest that much money in a secondary, uh, and especially because that has been the personality of this team? So I have my doubts. I mean, John Schneider can be a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty ruthless uh, football businessman. So we'll see. But I will not be surprised if that's the end of the Legion of Boom as we know it. Peter, you know, any win that you get in the National Football League is well earned. Uh, Nothing is given. You have to basically take it or earn it. Atlanta went on the road and got a great win. But they didn't have all their their big pieces on a defensive side as well as not having a running game. How much you're buying Atlanta being one of the better teams in the NFC when it comes down to how they played against the Seattle Seahawks wounded football team? Well... I don't think Atlanta right now is one of the best teams in the NFC. If you consider, I mean, I would consider right now clearly Philadelphia is better, Minnesota is better, New Orleans is better, Carolina is better right now. And I think the Rams are probably better. And I haven't even included Detroit, and Detroit might be better. And, you know, so that's a lot of teams that either are better or, or probably is good. Uh, and so if I were, if I were uh, thinking about Atlanta right now, here's, here's the way I would, I would think about it. Okay, they're 3-4 and four in their last seven games. Uh, their defense is certainly not what it was last year, and I'm still worried about their offense. I mean, they got very, very lucky uh, or they got very lucky in the team that they played last night. They had two huge injuries, Seattle did. And I think if Sherman and Cam Chancellor play in that game, Seattle would have won it. So, again, I- I'm not – I have one game, one win on the road against a seriously wounded team in no way convinces me that Atlanta's back at the level they were last January. Taking you around the league with our NFL insider, Peter King of the MMQB. Peter, let's focus on the top of the NFC. Eagles still have the best record in all of football. How much credit does Doug Peterson deserve in Carson Wentz development this year? Um, I mean, to me, when I look at, when I look at Carson Wentz right now, um, I look at a guy who, uh, just in all ways, in reading a defense right now and in knowing when to take off and when to hang in there, which I think, you know, the, what, uh, what's amazing to me, I don't want to say amazing, what's surprising to me is you come from Division I AA, you've played two years 
of college football in Division One AA, which I'd probably call something like the Mid-American Conference, maybe a little bit less than that, uh, in, because they had big competition. That was a he played some good teams when he was there, but but I, I mean obviously it's not he didn't play a great schedule, and so uh, you know he comes into the NFL and starts right away, and the game is just not big enough. Not it's not too big for him. And that's why, to me, I think the Eagles look at him and say, you know, this guy's going to be our quarterback for the next 15 years. When looking at that, talking about how good Carson Wentz is, if you had a Philadelphia team, if you had a New Orleans Saints team, and also a Minnesota Vikings team, the only difference I would say between these three teams are is a quarterback position when it comes down to it. And the only reason why I would give the edge to the New Orleans Saints is because of the experience of Drew Brees. Do you buy into that notion that all three defenses are really good offensively? Let's say the Saints has the better running game than than Minnesota, and then you have Philadelphia. But with the quarterback and Carson Wentz with the ability to scramble the way he has and make those plays, and like you said, the game is not too big for him, Peter. Do you think Philadelphia is capable? I would agree, Cordell, except... um, I think this New Orleans game against the Rams is going to be a huge, huge tell uh, for the Saints for the rest of the year, and I'll tell you why. All right, so New Orleans uh, had been playing great on defense, you know, absolutely great, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, beating up on four teams in a row. Uh, and dominating them uh, defensively, but but so here comes Washington. Washington puts up 31 points, and you know if that intentional grounding call doesn't get made, likely 34 points. But but let's just say they put up 31 points, and and I would just make this this point to you, Cordell. The quarterbacks they faced, uh, a, you know, an Aaron Rodgers less. Green Bay team, Chicago, Tampa, Buffalo. Uh, I mean, you know, they had four fortunate weeks in a row playing a team, uh, you know, that was wounded and not playing very well on offense. Okay, so that's the first thing I'd say. Second thing I would say is that uh, I want to see New Orleans go on the road against a good defense and I want to see them being an explosive offense the way they have been, uh, you know, against and I consider because I consider the Rams a good defense. So I want to go on the road really and see them play a good team, uh, and which I think the Ram- I think the Rams are a very good team, and I want to see them go on the road and play a good team score at least in the high 20s and play a really good defensive game against a team with a good offense and a good quarterback. So I guess what I would say is I'll tell you how I feel about the Saints after this week. (laughs) And the beauty is we'll be chatting with you Sunday on NFL First and Goal on TuneIn Premium. Peter, as always, we value the insights. Hope you and your family have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Same to both of you guys. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise with Bose QC35 wireless headphones, too. You just flip a switch, and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, and up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC 35 headphones too today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we focus on football in Houston with Texan sideline analyst John Harris. John, let's revel in the positive takeaways from Sunday. How encouraging was it to see Tom Savage bounce back from the four-turnover game against the Rams with what he was able to do in the victory over Arizona? Well, I think it was, first of all, it was great. I mean, Win just, I mean, it's it, it's such the elixir for a team that had been struggling. And with, with all the different things that have been faced with this year, 
just to get a win was good. But when you you tack on to it, you know, Tom playing pretty well. The you know the interception in the first quarter or second quarter. I mean, you know, O'Brien has said it wasn't really his fault. You know, he's still got to protect the ball a little bit better on the strip sacks. I think he's been stripped seven or eight times this year and lost six of them. So that's got to improve. But but he was making plays. And, look, he's not going to be Deshaun Watson out of the pocket, but two of his best throws, one for a touchdown, one for a key first down in the third quarter, he made them on the run to his right and just threw absolute lasers and completed those passes. So that was good. Look, we, we're all aware of the fact that Tom is – is not at a level that Deshaun is. But what I like about him is he seems to be improving. Even that Rams game, there were moments where you felt like, okay, he's improving, he's making some strides. And it just got to a point where the turnovers um, and the, the run started in the third quarter, and then it was he was a city duck back there. But against the Cardinals, they ran the ball pretty well. And they were able to have balance, and I think that really kind of had Arizona back on their heels. Now Tom will get tested again on Monday night against the Baltimore Ravens and a big one for both teams. John, you talked about how the team was running the football. Deontay Foreman, uh, his Achilles. Uh, tell me about how big of a hit is that on this offensive side of football after already losing Deshaun Watson, but now all of a sudden you use, lose one of the one-two punches uh, between he and Lamar Miller. Yeah, that's a big one, Cordell. I, I mean, it's interesting because he ran right by me. And I could see the last line of defense is Antoine Bethea. And I could see that he dove and missed him. And I just started looking back to the sideline, like looking at the celebration. And I don't even hear that he's down or see that he's down. And then I hear Mark Vanier say, Deontay Foreman's down in the end zone. And I see him grab for his left ankle. And where he was grabbing, I could tell right away it was an Achilles. And you just hope against hope at that point that he's going to be okay. But you're right, Cordell. It's, it's a big blow, but if there's any team that throughout this year has found a way somehow to get from game to game with a limited roster because of injuries and everything else, it's been this Texan squad. So Alfred Blue's going to have to step up. Lamar Miller's going to have to take on a little bit more of the offense over the next six games, and we've got to keep our fingers crossed that Deontay can go through rehab and get ready for 2018 because if all the pieces come back next year healthy and ready to go, will be a really tough offense to stop. So it's going to be tough. I mean, they're going to have to sign a couple of guys um, this week. I believe they've already moved up Kobe Hamilton for the practice squad at receiver because they're banged up there a little bit. Um, but they're also going to have to bring in a running back. So we'll see what they do over the next day or so, what they do at running back alongside Lamar Miller. Because Lamar's been better this year, I think, with fewer carries. I mean, the touchdown catch that he made looked like a receiver. He's toe-tapping on the sidelines, making a catch. I mean, Lamar gives you so much, but now he's probably going to have to be 100% running back instead of probably 70% running back, 30% receiver, offensive weapon. So, yeah, it's a, it's a stinging blow, uh, and especially for a young man who is really starting to get it and make an impact for this offense. And he's fun to watch. Hopefully he'll get back for 2018 and have a good long career with the Texans. It's our weekly conversation with John Harris, sideline analyst, Texans Radio Network, Texans team channel here on TuneIn. John, as a proud Ivy League graduate, we need to harness your brain power. Can you sort out the muddled wildcard picture in the AFC? Prior to you joining us, Cordell and I were talking about it. Your Texans at 4-6 and six, still very much alive and a huge opportunity to damage the Ravens in the process with a win on Monday night. <laughs> I took a look at it yesterday. And I got about three or four games in of, of what if, and I thought, this is nuts. I, I can't do this. I, and, and I think that's the thing, and where it got frustrating for me, guys, is, and you mentioned it, and I heard Cordell rattling off the injuries before I came on. If we had, maybe not every single one of those guys, but if we had Watson and Merciless or Watson and Watt back, or we had Watson and Merciless and Foreman back, we'd have as good a shot of being in this AFC race. That's the wild card race, but right there in the AFC race, but we don't. So can we get to the playoffs? It's going to be tough. We've got, obviously, Baltimore and the Tennessee back-to-back Monday night on the road and then a Sunday afternoon on the road. But if we somehow get through those games, either 1-1 one and one or 2-0 and oh somehow, then we got San Francisco at home, and now you're sitting there going, hey, anything can happen at this point. I think what it goes to show, Brian, is that you've got Pittsburgh and you've got New England. And you really have everybody else. And, and I'll, I'll put Jacksonville up there. I've been impressed with Jacksonville. But honestly, 
Jacksonville didn't go into Cleveland and do a whole heck of a lot, and they should have lost the game to the Los Angeles Chargers at home. So I still think Jacksonville is a little bit of a work in progress, but it's going to come down to, I think, the Steelers and the Patriots because the Chiefs, for some reason, can't get Kareem Hunt involved. Alex Smith is not performing the way that he was earlier in the season. So to me, it's really those top two teams and everybody else. At that point, if we can just get in the dance, and with all we've had happen, if we just get in a dance, I think that will be a huge accomplishment for this organization and really build for a solid 2018. Do you think you can rely on Tom Savage, considering the injuries you especially have in the backfield, can you rely on Tom Savage to get through this stretch of games? Because Baltimore, we saw the game they just played. It was it was a good one against Green Bay. Uh, the Tennessee Titans, we saw them falter a little bit against the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. The 49ers got a great win, so they're coming off of a ton of energy and confidence. Jacksonville, we know who they are. They're just a tough football team in the Steelers. And then Indy, who can at any time play some solid football. Can Tom Savage get you through these stretch of the stretch of games to position this team to be in the postseason similar to what they did over the past couple of years well Cordell I think it comes down to if Tom does not turn the ball over and what we saw last week against Arizona was a much more composed calm in the pocket quarterback that did make a couple of plays out of the pocket now we're not going to rely on Tom to do that in the future but I think the Tom Savage that we saw Sunday was the one that Bill O'Brien and the staff expected to see this year. That's the guy that we saw last year against Jacksonville when he had to come in the game and, and rescue the Texans in that win against Jacksonville last year, 21-20. So are we, I think we'd be foolish to rely on Tom Savage. Now, could we rely on Deshaun Watson? Absolutely, because Deshaun was asked to do a ton. I think Tom just has to realize, and what he did against the Cardinals, I think, was – was something that Deshaun did. Deshaun could make plays out of the pocket. He'd make magic happen. But Deshaun was so quick to get rid of the ball. Lamar Miller, here's five yards. Here's a check. I'm going to take it and go. Um, Alfred Blue, I'm just going to throw this to you. You go get five, seven yards. We'll set up second and three. Hey, DeAndre Hopkins, I'm just going to throw it up there and let you go make plays. I'm going to put it in your vicinity. That's what Deshaun was doing. I think Tom emulated that aspect of the game. And when he does that, there are some weapons to utilize. DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best sideline receivers. He might be the best sideline receiver in the league, one of the best overall receivers in the league. So you've got some weapons to use that it can't just be, okay, Tom, it's all on your shoulders. Don't turn the ball over. Get us in the right play. And I don't want to use this in the wrong way, but the term game manager gets thrown around a lot, and I think sometimes in a bad way. But I think if he manages the game well and doesn't turn the ball over, we're going to have a shot. Because defensively, up front in particular – we're pretty good. And J.D. Clowney continues to rise into the upper echelon of defensive players in the league. But Archie McKinney's playing well. And yet the secondary has struggled at times this year, sometimes very badly, as you guys have pointed out. Uh, it's, and that's got, to, that's got to be better. But we're not facing the Rams or the Patriots or the Seahawks. We're facing some teams that might be a little bit offensively challenged down the road. And that could help. And that might help Tom Savage, too, that he doesn't have to win a 41-38 kind of game. If you put 24 up on the board, Tom, that could be enough to go win these games down the stretch. And I think that needs to be the mark. Get to 24, defense, hold them under that, and you got an opportunity to win these games down the stretch because the stretch is going to be a little bit easier than the beginning when you had Chiefs, Patriots, Seahawks, Rams in the top eight, nine games of your season. John Harris is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. John, how do you see the offensive rookie of the year conversation with your Houston bias acknowledged? Alvin Kamara has been outstanding for the Saints, but even though he's not going to be able to play a full season due to injury, Deshaun Watson still gets my vote based on how sensational he was prior to getting hurt. Well, I think sometimes you look at what Deshaun did and you shake your head like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did it. But then you saw what the offense hasn't been able to do that he's been out, and I think it maybe raises the importance factor of Deshaun Watson. I think you're right. Alvin Kamara has been phenomenal. I thought it was interesting when we practiced against the Saints back in August, right before Hurricane Harvey hit, they had Kamara practice, and we saw him, and we're like, whoa, this guy's special. But then we got to the preseason game, which was game number three, and he didn't play a down. He didn't play one down. And I thought, okay, one of two things, either – Something happened, he's in the doghouse, or they don't want to show him to anybody, and they're just going to spring him on everybody they play. And it was more of the latter. 
he was they're springing him on everybody, and he's fantastic. He and Mark Ingram, I think Kamara absolutely without question uh, is in that conversation. Kareem Hunt's kind of falling off a little bit, but obviously I got to back my guy because even though he's only, he only played half a season, he had as much impact not just in Houston but throughout the league. I mean, the entire national media was talking about Deshaun Watson and Houston Texans, and guys, you know more than I do. When's that happen? I mean, never. So hopefully he comes back healthy next year and the national media continue to talk about the Texans as being a Super Bowl uh, contender at that point. But, yeah, I would obviously put Watson and Kamara in that mix for sure. Yeah, two great players. Of course, Deshaun Watson was actually trending in a direction that we haven't seen a player actually trend in when it comes down to touchdowns and everything he meant to that organization. And Kamara, yes, playing great. Doing something totally different in New Orleans uh, than we've been accustomed to seeing considering Drew Brees been the answer. But when thinking about your, your team in, in the Houston Texans and what they have going on within that division, Brian and I are probably the only show in America that talks about the AFC South the way we have, whether it was with the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Houston Texans being able to win with a multitude of quarterbacks playing a position. The only people hadn't played it was myself and Brian and even you, John. So with that being said, <laughs> Can this team, with what they have on the roster right now, really and truly have a chance to win this division, considering how good two teams within the other three that are that are within that division are playing right now? Well, I think, Cordell, had the Texans beaten the Jaguars to start the season, had they won that game at home and then not tripped on themselves against the Colts, obviously the week that Deshaun went down, I would tell you yes. But I, I think at this point, Here's the, here's, the difference. here's the difference this year in the AFC South, especially Jacksonville, because I still, think, I still think Tennessee is flawed. And I thought that on the defensive side of the ball, and I still think that. And I think John Robinson, will go, he'll, he'll make draft picks on that side. He'll go sign free agents. And Tennessee's defense will be better. And I think Tennessee will take another step. They'll be in the mix, I think, going forward for a long time. I just think Jacksonville is more talented than Tennessee at this point. But Jacksonville is winning games this year that it didn't win the five, six, seven previous years. That game against the Chargers, they'd have lost that game eight times out of eight, eight previous right. years. Mm-hmm. But this year, for some reason, they're winning the, they're winning those games. They won that game. Same thing against the Browns. It's thirteen to seven. That's a game where in the past Deshaun Kaiser would have gone right down and scored a touchdown to give the Browns their first win of the year and the Jags a heartbreaking loss. Well, this year, those losses aren't happening. And so Jacksonville's sitting at 7-3 and three, and a well-deserved 7-3, and three, but you very easily can make a case for them being 5-5 uh, you know, five and five after losing the last two weeks, but they're not. So that's a three-game lead on us, a game lead on Tennessee. And I think when Jacksonville goes to Tennessee, Jacksonville will beat up the Titans, and I think Jacksonville's going to end up winning the division. But the wild card is still in play for two teams, Tennessee and Houston. We got a lot of work to do to, do, to get there. Tennessee at least has a couple of games on everybody else, so there is some margin for error. But that December 3rd game for us going to Tennessee is a massive one for us to have any shot to get into the wild card at that point. John, great information as always. Hope you and your family have an outstanding Thanksgiving, and we'll chat with you next week after the Monday night football matchup in Baltimore. Thank you, John. Absolutely. You guys as well. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Take it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern, only on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's spotlight America's team with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Mickey, the Eagles probably are the most complete team in all of football, so credit to them for how they played on Sunday. But from the Cowboy point of view, what was the most disheartening aspect of what happened on Sunday night? Well, I'll tell you, the, the most disheartening thing was and I kind of had to remind myself this uh, when I sat down to write after the game that they were winning nine seven at halftime, and then the roof caved in right. Uh, and, and so from uh, a disheartening standpoint, it's like you played a pretty good half of football, you shut out 
the second highest scoring team uh, in the league after their first possession for the rest of that half. And then you give up the defense anyway, 23 straight points. Uh, I thought that was the part that uh, uh, was disheartening. And then the fact that they just couldn't get, they still can't get their offense going. Um, you know, this was a team that played six consecutive games, scoring at least 28 points. Uh, and then they lose Ezekiel Elliott to the suspension. Uh, no Tyron Smith uh, out there. And all of a sudden, they, now they, they score one touchdown in, in the next two games. And certainly that's got to be corrected uh, by Thursday, uh, playing a Chargers team. Uh, they put up 54 points uh, on Sunday. Uh, the Cowboys got to get their offense back in gear uh, if they expect to uh, survive uh, these last six games and keep themselves in at least a wild card playoff hunt. Mickey, you mentioned the offense needing to get back in the gear. Of course, the suspension of Ezekiel Elliott is, is one of the bigger losses on this entire football team. Uh, but when you think about the backfield, you have Alfred Morris and Darren McFadden was uh, inactive last week, and he seems a little frustrated about that. What's going on considering that they're more concerned about special teams and also adding Rod Smith to the backfield as opposed to Darren McFadden? What's going on there with that case? Yeah, I, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm surprised uh, because I think <clears> – I bet I told you guys my, my, my kind of theory on that whole deal that uh, when Darren McFadden was inactive uh, that uh, they basically were thinking, okay – if Zeke gets suspended, we want to make sure McFadden's healthy, fresh, and ready to go. Well, I guess I couldn't have been more wrong because they've decided that uh, Alfred Morris and, uh, and, and Rod Smith are the guys that they were going to lean on uh, in, in the running game. And, you know, they ran the ball okay, uh, but, man, when you don't have that threat, and you know this, Cordell, if, you, if your running back doesn't threaten the back end of a defense, those yards that you gain are kind of hollow because they're sitting there going, okay, yeah, fine, you have five, you have ten, but you're mm-hmm. not going to hit me for a 40-yard touchdown run. Uh, and that's why I, I was a little surprised that, you know, I, I thought McFadden at least had some speed, uh, some breakaway speed, especially to the outside to uh, cause some problems for uh, the defense, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, the coaching staffs decided that it's Morris and Rod Smith. And uh, this past week with McFadden, yeah, uh, I guess they decided because of some of the other injuries, they needed more guys up uh, in the secondary and had him inactive. And I'm sure that did shock him because uh, I was somewhat surprised too. Chatting with Mickey Spagnola, check out his great work, DallasCowboys.com and the Cowboys team channel here on TuneIn. Mickey Tyron Smith getting healthier, very good news. But against the Chargers, you got to be mindful of both sides of the defense with Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. How do you see that matchup up front on Thanksgiving? Yeah, that should be a good one to keep an eye on. If if people are watching the game, and I know what happens when you watch on TV, you basically follow the football. But I would keep an eye on those two pass rushers that have combined for, uh, I think I added it up, 19 sacks uh, between the two of them. Uh, and then uh, you got to keep an eye on Lael Collins on the right side, and it does look like Tyron Smith uh, is ready to go. Now, they had a light practice today, uh, but he was out there working uh, with the first-team uh, offense, and even though it wasn't a physical practice, they certainly wouldn't have wasted those reps on him if they weren't planning on him playing. So, uh, you know, there's not been many times that they've had to give uh, Tyron Smith help uh, on the left side. Uh, so you hope, uh, I'm sure their hope is that uh, he's healthy enough to be able to handle it by himself. And if they have to help out, uh, they can give Lael Collins some help on the other side. So, uh, you know, and I think one of the problems they ran into offensively this past week, uh, past Sunday, uh, was they were so conscious of making sure they protected Dak or trying to that they were keeping guys in to help out and consequently, you have uh, fewer people out in the in the pass patterns, and you have fewer options. And they still didn't protect Dak well enough. You know, he gets sacked four times. You add that to the eight from the week before, that's 12 sacks in two games when they had only given up 10 sacks in the first eight games. And it wasn't just the sacks. He got hit another six times. 
So you add that to the 10 from Atlanta, that's 16 times your quarterback got hit, plus the sacks. Uh, and, and people wonder, well, he had a bad game. Well, yeah, he had a bad game. You didn't have the time of day in the pocket to be able to throw the ball. Uh, they weren't protecting him, and a lot of times he was having to rush throws or he's trying to throw over pressure and really not seeing very well. So uh, that's something that's got to improve. They've got to protect him a heck of a lot better than they have in these past two games. And you would hope that uh, the addition of Tyron Smith, providing he's close to 100%, uh, will help that protection. And speaking of protection, uh, there's also another side that protects the center of the football field and also the running game when it comes to backs getting to the second level. You have Sean Lee and Anthony Hitchens. Give me their injury issues, and, and will they be able to do one of them either uh, either of them be able to do anything this upcoming Thursday? They, they must be pretty confident that Hitchens will be back out there because, uh, like I said on Tyron Smith, uh, when they were going through their kind of workout today, the little bit we got to see, the media got to see, um, Hitchens was taking the reps uh, at middle linebacker uh, with the first-team defense. Uh, now they've got to have – uh, and, and but at the weak side, and Durant was in the middle, so that's kind of the way they started the game. Hitchens suffered a little bit of a strained groin uh, in the fourth quarter and didn't finish the game. Uh, they did do an MRI, but it seems like he he cleared that, so it looks like they're planning on him playing. So that's a good thing. Sean Lee, uh, I, I I never when he missed Sunday, I said there's no way he gets back for Thanksgiving, and it looks like that's the way it's going to be. Uh, so they've got to hope that he can get back in time for uh, the Washington game. So, again, uh, they miss him. They haven't won a game this year without him on the field, uh, and they really only lost one game uh, when he was out there. So, you know, 5-1 and one with him, 0-4 oh without him. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not a, an excuse for getting beat like that, but – you know, when you see the numbers and the facts, it, it's certainly a reason uh, for struggling, especially against the run, especially, as I said, in the second half uh, of that game when you give up 180 yards rushing in one half. Finally, Mickey, tough to call any game in November effectively must win, but when you do the playoff arithmetic, how critical is Thanksgiving's game for the Cowboys? Thanksgiving's critical, next Thursday's critical, and the next four games uh, on Sunday are critical at this point. I mean, I, the way I can see it, the, the, you know, and, and, and to be reasonable, they might be able to lose one more game uh, and, and qualify as a wild card team, uh, but I wouldn't even count on that. So it's almost like their playoffs uh, have begun. They've put themselves in a 5-5 five and five hole, uh, and you've got to start winning. Uh, and I think Jason Garrett sort of explained that to the team uh, after the game. He said, okay, we're five and five. We got six games left. We can go 11 and five. We can go five and 11, or we can go somewhere in between. And that's up to us. Uh, so yeah, uh, you got to start winning. And if you can just win that one, then maybe that revives your confidence that, Hey, we can win a game without Ezekiel Elliott uh, on the field. But so far, uh, they're 0-2. Mickey, great information as always. I know you've been covering this Thanksgiving Day game for many years, so you're used to working on a holiday, but hope you and your family <laughs> enjoy some time together during the holiday weekend. I appreciate that. We'll we'll just move Thanksgiving to Saturday, right? It's just a day <laughs> Call or an two audible. later. Thank you, Mickey. We'll chat with you next week. See you, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hi, this is Ned Coletti from MLB on TuneIn, inviting you to check out my new audiobook, The Big Chair, today on TuneIn Premium. The day Frank McCourt made me the 10th general manager in the long, proud history of the Los Angeles Dodgers, November 15th, 2005, was monumental for the Coletti family. I've been blessed to spend the last 35 years in Major League Baseball, all with iconic franchises, the Cubs, the Giants, and the Dodgers, where I was a general manager for nine seasons. In the big chair, I let listeners in on the intricacies of being an executive and a GM of a major sports franchise, share the process behind the trades, free agency, and the deals, shedding some light on how the money and decision-making really works. I'll also take you deep inside some of the thought process behind some of the major decisions that led to success and titles, along with heartbreak and failure. 
If you're a baseball fan, come for the inside and grit. If you're a sports fan, stay for the heart. Catch every exciting chapter of my new audiobook, The Big Chair, today on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to detail the five teams we are more than sure are better than the rest. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always-changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. All right, partner, I'll go first with breaking news. It's a developing story. Minnesota crashes my top five for the first time. And dare I say, Case Keenum and the boys blow that horn. Eight and two. Comprehensive victory over the L.A. Rams on Sunday. Make it six consecutive wins. However, I'm going on the record. They're going to lose to the Lions on Thanksgiving. Detroit went to Minnesota, beat Cordell's Vikings 14-7 in Week 4. At number 4, the Saints right there with Philadelphia as the two hottest teams in all of football. New Orleans, first team in the Super Bowl era to start a season with back-to-back losses and then rattle off eight consecutive wins. Yes, they got a lot of help from Washington on Sunday. Redskins squandered a 15-point lead with five minutes to go, but credit the tenacity of the Saints, and they won that game because of the Hall of Fame talent of Drew Brees. Need to see more. That's why I'm hedging with the Saints at number four with a chance to make another statement on the road in Southern California against the L.A. Rams, who have dropped out of my top five. Number three, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Eight and two. They've won five consecutive games. They applied a beatdown to the Tennessee Titans on Thursday night, and they got a lot of help from Marcus Mariota with the four interceptions. But the Steelers are winning despite the fact that Le'Veon Bell still has yet to fully come alive. Plus, you got to factor in the schedule with your analysis. Looking at to Sunday night football, they match up against Brett Hundley, who's been a turnover machine, and the Green Bay Packers at number two. The Patriots, and it's amazing how quickly things change in the National Football League. Take it back to week one when the Patriots were embarrassed at home by the Kansas City Chiefs and the sky was falling. Everything has altered. The Patriots dismantled the Raiders in Mexico City. They've won six consecutive games. They'll keep it going against a Dolphin team in disarray Sunday at Gillette Stadium. Number one, Philadelphia, Nuff said. Best record in football. Most complete team in football, winners of eight straight, and the schedule's favorable Sunday hosting the three and seven Bears in Philadelphia. Recapping Minnesota number five for now at number four, it's New Orleans, number three, Pittsburgh, number two, New England, number one, Philadelphia. Back to you. Hey, I like the teams. I like the team. Sounds pretty good. I like how you throw the jabs at Minnesota, but you're going to deal with it for the rest of this year because Case Keenum is going to get it done. But I'll get there in a minute. At number five, I'm dealing with the boys with the Florida Delete on their helmets down in the bayou. They second lining down Canal Street, Bourbon Street, off of Magazine Street, everywhere you want it. St. Charles even. The New Orleans Saints, a team that has been playing outstanding football. This defense has been really tenacious. Something that you've been trying to figure out about this football team for years, but they're finally playing really good. They're being stingy. Camara, he's playing outstanding, outstanding at the running back position, the young rookie, and also Mark Ingram and Drew Brees. They're finding ways to do it in a multitude of ways, whether it's done with the running game, uh, whether it's done with the passing game, a few trickeries. End up seeing a, something out of the playbook that we saw this, the, the L.A. Rams do where they come in motion. The guy goes back on the flare route. Drew Brees hit him on a, a little dink and dunk pass. He ended up scampering for a few big yards. But this offense, I think, is playing phenomenal. This team is playing phenomenal. Special teams getting some great plays as well. Um, at number four, I'm going with the guys in the purple uniforms, the purple people leaders, led by who? Case Tatum in the Minnesota Vikings. I got a case for you. This team is playing really good, holding the L.A. Rams to seven points, the highest scoring offense in the National Football League. This defense is doing what they've been doing. This team is healthy. The coaching staff is healthy. No one's leaving in the midnight hour. No one's having to go to the Dr. Craig. Yeah, knock on wood. 
Coach Zimmer, keep it going, brother. We love what's going on there in Minnesota. And guess what? Don't mess with the quarterback position. We'll deal with that at a later date. Right now, Case Keenum is playing some really darn good football. And last but not least, you got Thielen. How about that kid, man? From right out of the Minnesota area. He used to play for the Vikings in Little League. But now he's playing with the hometown team in the Minnesota Vikings. I have them sitting at number four. You know what? I was kind of between a, a rock and a hard place with the two and three spot. But this is what I'll say. I'll go with the Steelers at three for now. And the only reason why I say that is because the team I have at number two, when it comes down to playing some really, really good football, we know who they are. They're going about their business very quietly, but I'll get to them in a second. I'm going with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Great win against the Tennessee Titans. I think playing the game the way they should, uh, they beat them the way they were supposed to, and they're doing it with everyone on the roster. Ben Roethlisberger's having a field day. Le- Le'Veon Bell, he didn't play the great football game that he was supposed to play, that we expect him to play, but he played well enough to allow people like the Antonio Browns to get 10 catches for 144 yards in the touchdown, which is an average of four, 14.4 yards. I went to math class. One of my favorites, by the way. Um, ben Roethlisberger, the old guy. Yeah, he's getting old. He's getting long in the tooth. He's playing really good right now, and they play great in Pittsburgh. There's a game that's coming up down the road against the team I have at number two, the New England Patriots. They're steadily playing good. You have to give them the respect they deserve because when they figure it out, they play better than most teams in the National Football League. So right now I have the New England Patriots at number two, rightfully so, because Tom terrific. It's really not too much you have to say about New England, right? All you know is this time of year when they're in position to be special, they're just that. They're special. Last but not least, we saw this Philadelphia Eagles put this Dallas Cowboys football team on their rump. They made them look embarrassed. They exposed everything without having Anthony Hitchens. Also having Sean Lee, the left tackle, and also the running back in Ezekiel Elliott had Dak Prescott looking crazy. So E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles! This defense is playing really good. Fletcher Cox is balling out of control. You also have Sean Jeffries. How happy you think he is leaving out of Chicago to go to Philadelphia to have a chance to play with this young kid and Carson Wentz only in his second season. He is considered now as a full-time veteran. He's passed the fourth game of the season to be considered as that. He's playing like he's been around for a while. So I'm going with the Philadelphia Eagles at number one. So number five, the New Orleans Patriots, baby, they're second lining their way into the top five. The Purple People Leaders with Case Keenum. And also you have the Pittsburgh Steelers at number three, the New England Patriots at number two, and E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles at number one, my friend. Back to you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise with Bose QC35 wireless headphones, too. You just flip a switch, and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, and up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC 35 headphones too today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for the Fantasy Fix provided by Michael Harmon of SwollenDome.com. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked up. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix. Let us say happy holidays to our good friend Michael Harmon, SwollenDome.com. Mike, let's start with Monday Night Football, considering that Julio Jones still merely only has one touchdown cast all season long. Are you riding with Mohamed Sanu the rest of the way? I'll get Sanu in as a back-end number two. Obviously, the yardage wasn't there, but still efficient in the red zone with all the attention afforded to Julio Jones. Uh, he's going to get that one-on-one coverage and making the most of it along the way. Matt Ryan, great confidence in him. And Julio Jones leaving the ball on the turf early in that game, once again, not endearing himself to fantasy owners. It's the holiday season. Get those tubs of stick em sent uh, to the new stadium. Because remember, the Georgia Dome, famously, even though the Weather Channel blew it, as everybody knows, <laughs> Uh, imploded. Mike, another good showing from Jay Ajayi, but it was Corey Clement 
uh, with the touchdown. What do you learn about the Eagles' backfield on Sunday night football? Well, I think what we look at is, you know, you got a dominant offense, another great opportunity here this coming week against Chicago. As good as their defense has been, the offense still struggling, which means more time of possession, more opportunity for Philly. Uh, with Clement, you're looking at the touch count has varied quite a bit. Only six this last year, the, or last week I should say, 17 the long, but he does score. That's three in the last two weeks. He'd had double-digit touches two weeks prior, so he gets in as a flex play, uh, but Ajayi still, even with the lower touch count, still being productive, what, eight-plus yards per carry. Uh, the, the fact that LeGarrette Blunt's there staring you in the face isn't helping instill a lot of confidence, but the big play threats are there given the passing proficiency of Carson Wentz. So we'll keep Ajayi in as a high-end number two, take Clement. He'll have a, a flex-plus opportunity, and then LeGarrette Blunt is your wild card depending on your depth. Michael Corey Coleman of the Browns finally healthy, 80 games 80 yards in his first game back against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You buying him moving forward? I think a lot of that would be contingent on how much confidence you have in Deshaun Kaiser. It really just comes down to someone's, in theory, got to catch the ball, right? You're still coming down. Most games, uh, even the worst, well, I shouldn't say that, even the worst quarterbacks uh, at 150-plus yards, but we've certainly seen some outliers uh, to that over the course of the year. So if you're going to get the targets downfield, uh, certainly we'll, we'll take a look-see at this point in the season, the attrition, the uh, injury, and just the, the idea of we need a couple of big play threats, and that's the one thing Coleman provides is that big play capability. We'll see if if that bursts on and if they can somehow uh, unleash Josh Gordon before the season ends, maybe you got the, the bookend speedsters uh, that'll help things even more. But for now, we'll, we'll take a pick off the wire, and, and in some leagues he'll come in as a third wide receiver. But for most, it's, again, about playing defense these final couple of weeks, especially when you've got the explosiveness of the speedster downfield. Has Brandon Cooks lived up to expectation in his first year with the, with the New England Patriots? Oh, yeah, there's no, there's no question. I mean, obviously, we, we look at New England and you wait for the stats to be split about and for the running back position, that's certainly been the case. But 45 catches, almost 800 yards with, with six games to play, I, I think you'll take that when you're averaging eight, nine targets a game. Uh, sure, the 149, the, the outlier in terms of yardage production, but you're, you're getting opportunity. And that's really all you can ask for is that you're getting a, a consistent shot downfield and that's what Brady's been been delivering and even though you've had games where the tight ends and running backs have dominated if you can keep getting the target counts eventually the big one comes so uh, I think folks that drafted Cooks which would have been a high-end number two wide receiver I was a little more bullish on him waiting for another couple of touchdowns and we'll see if uh, I'm rewarded as the fantasy playoffs approach. Fantasy Fix Michael Harmon SwollenDome.com Mike do you have a handle on what's going on with OJ Howard the playmaking at times tied end at Alabama feels like he's got a big bandwidth wide spectrum either he's involved in a lot of plays in Tampa or he's virtually silent well, there, there's your hard part because you're also looking at Cameron Brait that the last two weeks in a row you had plus matchups as far as the opponent uh, in with tight end production looking at the Jets and then followed by the Dolphins in both cases you didn't really see much out of Brait at all uh, for OJ Howard you, you've had a couple of huge games. You go back to that game against the Bills and about a month ago, uh, and then obviously against Miami. But the production from the offense altogether just too sporadic to put much stock in, in anybody other than Evans and maybe a number three tag on, on Deshaun Jackson. Otherwise, we're going deep in the tight end position. We'll find other stars that are at least getting more consistent target counts. Mike, after a brutal showing against the Minnesota Vikings, do you think the Rams' offense will pick back up, or is it a concern um, that you have with them moving forward, or are they going to struggle? Yeah, I think you got to have a little bit of concern. Just you now, you lose Robert Woods for a longer period of time. You got a, a tough matchup coming up uh, against the Saints defense that that's really stepped up. You look the following week, Arizona on the road still have good cornerback play, and then you got that game against the Eagles. So you got three straight uh, before you even go on the road to Seattle, and we'll we'll see how many of their front eleven uh, are still standing by the time we get to that game. But you, you look at the Rams; they they cruise through the first part of the season. You have this past week, Minnesota came and punched them in the mouth early and often. The loss of Woods necessitates more uh, opportunity, but more of 
uh, a need for Sammy Watkins to be more than a decoy and, and a, a one one or two time a game playmaker. So uh, Cooper Cup are going to have to come up with a, a, some big efforts as well. And I don't know that he's shown us that consistently he can be that guy, possession receiver, but can he make a, a game-changing play? Next three weeks will tell. For Jared Goff, for now, it's going to back him off into the high-end number two instead of where he was starting to find himself in the lofty fantasy rankings. Michael, I think you know me well enough to know that I'm stuck in the 1980s. In fact, I'm wearing the members-only knockoff jacket right now. Nice. So when I hear Blaine, Blaine Gabbard, I'm thinking pretty in pink, John Cryer. His name is Blaine. How are we going with Blaine? But in fairness, Cordell's favorite player, Blaine Gabbard, had three touchdown passes and lost <laughs> to Houston. Any confidence in Blaine? If a listener was in dire straits, I know they're matching up with Jacksonville this week, but some people listening have no options. Old rule of thumb. I mean, there's two things that he has working for him. Number one, uh, he's born on the same day, obviously a couple of years younger than yours truly. Uh, he may or may not have better hair. Mine's currently purple, so uh, I kick his his uh, rear end there. Uh, uh, but the larger thing is that at this point in his career, he has no conscience, which means he'll be firing the ball downfield <laughs> and keep gunning as if it's the last game he'll ever play because, you know what, it just might. You bury the lead. Why do you have purple hair? Did you lose a wager? No, hanging out with my kids uh, around my birthday again, going back to the middle of October, and and they were thinking about it, and they went uh, and tried a Kool Aid dye. This was kind of interesting, right? So then you wash the sugar out. I, I wasn't having any of that, so uh, we found some legitimate purple hair dye to show some support for my beloved Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, and here we are, a little over a month later, and uh, still getting it on, and and really driving the people wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you end up finding out that the dad is always the one that gets the, the costumes and all the extra experiments put on by the, by the kid sometimes, right? Because having a 14-year-old, I, I get it, Mike, 100%. Oh, exactly. I, I got no problems with it. I mean, you know, occasionally you, you get a, an extra nail job, which which works, and, and your hands feel better. All right, you're a right. You know that. Mike, you just yeah, opened yeah. the door, and I'm going to say this with love. I'm picturing you purple. Do you look like Grimace? Uh, I, I may or may not have a bit of a grimace. Cordell, Google but... grimace right now for the people who don't know what I'm talking about. And, Mike, I need to share with you because you're my moral conscience because you're happily married. You have kids. I feel badly that I had two McRibs, not one but two, on my way home after our seven-hour show on Sunday. But maybe it was an homage to you because you're grimace. As a wise man once said, that man being my dad, never be ashamed to pile it on. It may not yeah, man, be there tomorrow. The kids. It's about the kids. Let the kids have fun with daddy. Oh, right. Mike. Do it for the kids, they say. It ain't right. about you anyway. You are the best. I need you to take a selfie right now. Tweet K slash 10, B.W. Weber in the show account, and we will retweet. I need to see you in glorious purple. No question about it. We'll have that up. Uh, We can do that in about 45 seconds from now. Michael, you're the best. Thank you. Next time I see you, McRib's on me. But remember, it's only for a limited time. Fantastic. That means we got to get to work. Uh, Guys, have a blessed holiday. Uh, Always great to join you. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.